Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I come to work with two hands every day and I'm trying to bless somebody. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. You can get on a podcast. You can get online. You can argue with the clouds. You can argue with the, with the Russian bots. Don't care. Good morning. It's Monday, September 19th. Welcome to the podcast sponsored by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, the makers of Lecvio and Clizerin. Scott Pienowski is here as we are going to recap every single game, just like we're going to do every single week. Man, this was a wild, wild week too slate. It's been a fun uh, first two weeks here in the NFL, Scott. What was your favorite moment from today? Oh, I mean, the, the Baltimore-Miami um, game was just crazy. It was like a college football game. I, mean, I almost feel like they should have played five overtimes and the first team of 65 should have won. Uh, and also, I'm really enjoying the Detroit Lions. They they cover every week. They put up points every week. They allow the other team to score every week. They're what I call a fantasy carnival. Uh, the sun god is, is having a monster season. But there's a lot to discuss. Rather than give you a long preamble, let's just jump head, uh, head first into it. Yeah, absolutely. And we are going to start with that Dolphins-Ravens game. Just a reminder, before we dive into all these contests, we are recording during the Sunday night game between the Packers and Bears. That means we won't be discussing that game until, thank God, tomorrow's podcast with the great Andy Barons to give us his take on the Bears. Let's start, though, with that Dolphins game. Dolphins 42, Ravens 38. Man, Scotty, it felt like the Ravens had this one in hand for a, a long, long time. And then the speed of Tyreek Hill, the speed of Jalen Waddle, and honestly, just some really damn good play by Tua brought the Dolphins back into it. They win. Scott, this is about as concentrated as an offense can be right now with this Dolphins group. I mean, 88% of the air yards combined for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. 64% of the team targets combined. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill are the only pair of wideouts with 170-plus yards and two touchdowns in the same game since at least 1950. Um, so, yeah, this duo is working out pretty well for the Dolphins. Right. Um, we want to find out this year if how good Tua was. I'm still really, it sounds crazy to say he just had a six touchdown game. I'm still not really sure how much of this is Tua and how much of it is him being dragged by the immense talent of Tyreek Hill, the immense talent of Jalen Waddell. 
and we're getting the market share we want. What would Waddle have 19 targets today, double digit yeah, targets for Hill? They sprinkled in a little bit of Mike Gusecki so he can go back into that, you know, tight end 12 to 18 bucket. Uh, I don't think you can necessarily start Gusecki every week, but at least you can consider starting him. Tight end's just an ugly position. Surprised that Raheem Mostert was the more utilized running back, but really, this is just the Tua show. It's the Tyreek show. It's the Jalen Waddle show. It's glorious. We want for fantasy, we want our best players to see the ball, to get the opportunity, to get deep shots, to get the ball in plays in space where they can hit home runs. And this game was just one home run after another. Even though Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle were drafted proactively, Tyreek Hill kind of early second round, Waddle fell in the third round most of the time. Those look like bargains right now. If we redraft, Tyreek Hill's a first round pick. I think Jalen Waddle would go in the second round. I think you're right, and I didn't really draft much of Jalen Waddle because my analysis on this group was, hey, look, if Ty- if Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are both going to hit their ADPs, Tua either has to take a massive step forward or like everybody else in this offense has to be completely marginalized. Well, I think both of those things honestly might be true at this point. I mean, even if we're still – we're not sure where Tua ranks on the quarterback pantheon right now or whatever. We'll probably have a better idea in a couple of weeks, certainly by the end of the season, but – I'm definitely willing to say he looks like a better player right now in this offense than he ever has before. Like the way he was flinging the ball downfield today, attacking, like that was, that was very reminiscent of like Alabama Tua. And even if he never get, comes back to those heights again, it's still good to see him at this point. So um, I think these two guys are every week starts for sure. And really, yeah, no, no one else on this team matters. And I'll say this on the Ravens side before we get to their offense, um, that secondary's in trouble again already. I mean, Kyle Hamilton, he got worked a couple times. They're kind of rookie box safety ish type uh, player. They have injuries back there and man, they were, again, this is a really special duo from a speed perspective, Waddle and, and Tyreek, but th- those guys got worked. Like that might be a unit that we start to attack again and again, just like we did towards the end of last year. Yeah. And poor tour can't win. Sometimes on one of the touchdown passes to Hill, his detractors are like, well, the ball was still underthrown. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was it was seven yards clear, and then you know, yeah. it ended up being a 50-50 ball. But I just love that two is going into an attack mindset. That any yeah. any jump ball you're throwing, any deep ball you're throwing to Tyreek Hill has a chance of being a plus EV play. And man, does that Baltimore defense have all sorts of work they're going to need? Now we we like this for fantasy, right? We like offenses that can score and defenses that can't stop anything. I mean, Lamar Jackson, the entire Baltimore offense was Lamar Jackson today. That We didn't expect that they'd run the ball very well with J.K. Dobbins out again, and they, they didn't. You know, Mike Davis, I feel like he could be cut any day now. Uh, Kenyon Drake hasn't done anything of note. So we had the long Lamar Jackson touchdown run. He put the ball in the hands of the people he wanted to. Andrews was great. Bateman was great again. May have been interfered with on the Hail Mary, but they never call interference on a Hail Mary. Uh, likely had four catches and, and dropped what would have been a fifth one. So he's getting into the mix. Unfortunately, Devin Duvernay got hurt after that the touchdown on the opening kickoff. Is looking like maybe he could have kind of a fun specialty season for the Ravens. But Lamar Jackson chose to bet on himself. It's not his fault they lost today so far. I mean, the joke was Ian Hart had said, well, okay, Ravens offer a billion dollars to Lamar Jackson. Maybe that's not enough right now because well, Lamar <laughs> Jackson's carrying this team on his shoulders. Yeah, you're so right that the – um, F-ups by the defense are really going to overshadow what was a dominant electric day by Lamar Jackson. I mean, that 79-yarder that you mentioned, it's the longest touchdown run of his career. He now has 11 100-yard rushing games. That's surpassing Michael Vick for the most in NFL history. I mean, he is really... 
Uh, I mean, he, he just looks awesome right now. You know, midway through that game, I'm like, the Ravens' pass attack has taken an another step. I mean, uh, there's a couple great Mark Andrews catches. You got to love, too, Scott, when they throw that deep touchdown to, to Mark Andrews. It actually gets called down at the one, and then they just give Mark Andrews the one-yard touchdown. From, like, a fantasy angle, it's like, that feels like justice. That's great to see. We know Andrews is great. I do want to talk Rashad Bateman. The last thing we wanted to see was Mike Davis you know, go nowhere exactly. again on a goal-line oh. carry. They tried that. I give yeah. Baltimore credit. They gave Mike Davis a handful of carries. It didn't work out, and they just said, okay, burn that play. We're not calling it ever again. Yeah, that the first like goal uh, to go situation for them, it was a bunch of runs that got stuffed. Lamar got stuffed, although that was kind of an interesting call that, that I, I thought he cleared the goal line, but that was just me. Um, and then the next time, yeah, that we get down there, let's just run a one yard. I'm like, you know, you can throw at the damn one yard line, Baltimore. Um, I do want you to heat check me on Rashad Bateman, man, because and I'll, I'll play sort of devil's advocate here with what I'm about to say, because on the one hand. I mean, you know, I love Rashad Bateman. I'm sky high on the player. I think he looks like a legitimate alpha wide receiver. The route that he ran against Xavier Howard, which ended up becoming a 70 plus yard touchdown. That was awesome. He just looks fantastic. He looks faster and more explosive now than he did as a rookie and in his final year in college because he's healthy, like coming into this year. But there are some, you know, I guess minor concerns with Bateman from a usage standpoint. Only 62.6% .6 of the snaps through two weeks. He's only run a route on 73% of the dropbacks through two weeks. Uh, only 20% of the targets. A lot of it is big play juiced. Um, do you put any credence into that being a small concern or, or is it wheels up for Rashad Bateman, which is, by the way, what I think? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on your page here because when you look at, OK, yeah, we, we'd like to see him running some more routes. We'd like to see him on the field more. But when you're as successful as Bateman has been, then teams get you on the field more. Right. And who's going to who's, who's going to challenge him for playing time? They do not have the personnel. It's not like somebody can steal his job away. So Baltimore is going to be Greg Roman's going to be thinking, OK, you know, we're getting the second year spike we wanted from Bateman. And I, I know that was a big thing for you. Your big credo before the season was go get those sophomore receivers. And you know, man, a couple of them are really going crazy right now, even one even more so than Bateman. But when something works, teams you utilize it more often. So I feel like there's still some meat on the bone that Baltimore can get with Bateman. But so far, he's smashed his projection two straight weeks. It's definitely wheels up for me. I wish I had him everywhere. Yeah, they're running out like Demarcus Robinson in one wide receiver sets and on run plays. Um, so it's that's kind of, I think, my explanation for why those usage metrics are down. But all right, let's move to the next game here. Um, man, this was exciting. And I, I'll say, hey, Robert Sala said he's keeping receipts uh, on folks that are doubting the Jets. And I came on this podcast kind of clowning on, on, on Robert Sala saying, you know, hey, man, those look like the same old damn Jets to me no matter what you say. Well, Bob, if you listen to the pod, my bad. You win. I was wrong. The The Jets came out with a pretty uh, impressive win here. La I mean, the Browns embarrassing to let this one slip away, but Jets 31, Browns 30. Um, I think the biggest fantasy story here, you know, Browns are pretty much what we expect, but I think the biggest fantasy story is certainly the Garrett Wilson breakout game. More routes than Corey Davis this week. That was the change from um, week one. 32.6% of the team targets, 14 overall, 44% of the team air yards. Was the primary slot guy over 50% of his snaps in the slot. Five red zone targets, three end zone targets. Man, I, I still really love Elijah Moore, who did run a route on 94% of the dropbacks. But I think my takeaway, Scott, is Moore will have his days. But I do think the gap between those two players needs to start to close. And Wilson needs to start coming up. Man, you know, Garrett Wilson, he, he must have the longest arms because he's not listed. Was he six feet? But his catch radius is gigantic. He yeah, looks like freaky. a monster out there. He, he reminds me... I, 
I'm so reluctant to say this name. He reminds me of Calvin Johnson. He's such a, a matchup freak. And we, we saw how great the receiver play was last year at Ohio State. And he's doing it with Joe Flacco. He's doing it with whatever's left of Joe Flacco. And is it just ironic that the Browns, they win last week on a field goal from the moon and then they lose in part today because they couldn't make an extra point? You know, I, I knew the Browns, something bad was going to happen to the Browns when they put that crazy, goofy logo at midfield. And I, I know that the thing Keebler goes back elf, like 40, yeah. 40. Yeah, whatever. Get the elf on the shelf off the field. This is the NFL, <laughs> man. Act like a professional <laughs> football franchise. But I'm, ex I'm excited. I think the Jets have a good receiver room. I mean, you mentioned, do we want to see Wilson and more getting more targets and Corey Davis? Sure. But would I love to like trade Corey Davis to the Packers or one of the receiver needy teams in the league? Who knows? By the time you're listening to this, maybe the Packers have fixed the receiver room. Doubtful, but I guess it's possible. I mean, Corey Davis had a long touchdown in this game. He, um, Salfino told me to bet over the Corey Davis receiving prop. He easily beat that, albeit on just two catches. But Garrett Wilson's a grown-ass man. I, I don't have a lot of Garrett Wilson in part because I didn't trust the quarterback room. And a lot of times when you're breaking ties with draft picks, it's like, okay, do I trust the quarterback? Zach Wilson? No. Joe Flacco? No. Mike White? No. Well, I guess Joe Flacco's good enough because I think Garrett <laughs> Wilson is already just an overwhelming problem. And the question I have to ask next week, are we going to rank him higher than Elijah Moore? I think after 14 targets, we have to. Yeah, man. And look, I love both these players. This is one of those where like I'm I'm in on both receivers. So if if Wilson's the one, great. If Moore's the one, great. I think both these two. I, I definitely, though, was not expecting Wilson to hit the ground running like this. Um, not because I had any questions about him as a player. I just thought, you know, he might get like he might get the post by rookie bump treatment with Corey Davis, um, you know, but he has pushed Braxton Berrios aside as the team's top slot receiver. And now it looks like he's about to start taking work from Corey Davis from a playing time perspective. And yeah, definitely. Definitely, if this receiver core was thinned out to just Wilson and more, I think it'd be good for both of them. But the fact that Davis is still going to be around and like Davis is not a, a star or anything, but he's a competent NFL receiver. So um, I'm with you that I think that I'm going to have that conversation with myself from from a Wilson more perspective, at least in rankings next week. And to, on your point about him from a wingspan perspective. Yeah, he he's. He's not like physically like Brandon Ayuk, where Ayuk has those just spider long arms and, and he's he's great in contested situations, tight coverage because of that. But, you know, Dan Orlovsky got a ton of crap for I, th I think it was Dan Orlovsky compared him to Julio Jones as a player when they don't look physically anything alike. But the way that they win in tight spaces because of that, like it, Wilson's very freaky like that. He's very, very gifted. I'm, I'm high on him as a player. And I, I mean, love that. I great. love that Julio comp. I, you know, maybe that was a better comp that I could have thrown out than Calvin. Johnson and again maybe just Calvin we're talking about two Hall of Famers here with, with exactly yeah. and Julio but I think I see Julio more and, and you know you mentioned the word competent I was very encouraged to see Jacoby Brissett play a competent football game because he did not play very well in that Carolina game and you might say well what do I care about Jacoby Brissett well we would like to play Amari Cooper with some level of confidence we'd like to play I mean, I, I guess David Njoku did what he so often yeah. does, does that he had a couple of early catches and then they treated Harrison Bryant like he was the second coming of Rob Gronkowski. I don't really <laughs> understand that. Nick Chubb's a great football player. He finally got some touchdown luck, which he hasn't had a lot of the last couple of years. But the big takeaway for me, and I was really down on Cooper, didn't trust Brissett, down on Cooper preseason and down on Cooper Same. into this week. But if Brissett's going to be competent, and I don't know, maybe maybe the Jets kind of push some of that competency. But um, Amari Cooper was one of the best players on the field today. It's going to get kind of swept under the carpet because the story is going to be how did the Browns lose this game and what did the Jets do right but encouraging to see the Browns actually have a professional passing game today.
Yes, this was the sort of volume sponge Amari Cooper that you were sort of promised in drafts. And you're going to want the universe to stay in this correct version of like 10 targets for Amari Cooper, one for DPJ, not what we saw in week one. So uh, we will leave that game at that. What a, what a fun win for the Jets there. They got to feel pretty good after that. All right, next one up. Another another insane finish. Cardinals 29, Raiders 23. This is one of those games where like, during the later portion, it was not one of the games on my three screens, you know, for most of the time. Um, and, and, you know, I'm like writing my notes down for, for the pod. I'm, I'm, I'm checking all the stats and stuff. And it, it, at one point I look up and like, what the, the Cardinals are about to win this game or they're about to take it to overtime. What the hell's going on here? Kyler just honestly just went nuts at the end. And I think that's the best way to say it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I was writing a lot and I didn't see as much of this comeback as I would have liked to. So it'll be one of the first games that I rewatch on Monday. But Big story with James Conner. I don't know how significant his injury is, and it's hard to know this stuff on yeah. on Sunday night. But I, I guess Eno Benjamin asserted himself as the clear number two there. And man, I, I thought AJ Green was pretty much done as a functional football player, but he made a couple of plays. How did the Raiders blow this game? Oh man, Devontae Adams did just about nothing, and Carr. You know, I thought Carr was conservative to a fault when they. I, I thought maybe the Raiders thought this game was won and took their foot off the gas. Two coaches I really don't trust. I mean, you know, our friends that established the run, they call Cliff Kingsbury the fake sharp. There's a lot of <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury, I think, and Josh McDaniels. You know, they're both like the same kind of the guys you expect them to show up at your country club with the visor on and with the gum chewing. And, you know, just like, they're, they're, you know, I'm the alpha here, even though I've never really proven anything. Um, somebody had to win this game and lose this game. Of course, it gets it gets one on a defensive, t- a fumble on defensive touchdown. But frustrating. I, I had a lot of interest in this game from a fantasy perspective, from a DFS perspective. I did get a touchdown out of Waller, but Adams does almost nothing. Uh, we didn't get a, a big game out of Jacobs. Usually his games follow Raider wins. Of course, they didn't win this game. Connor gets hurt. Um, I just Kyler kind of pulled this game out of, you know, out of his nether regions. I guess that's the takeaway. I still don't feel very good about either one of these teams right now for fantasy purposes. Yeah, the two-point conversion, um, that one's worth a rewatch if you haven't seen that, where he ran, I think, next-gen stats had it. He ran like 84 yards to get a two-point conversion from the two-freaking-yard line. It was pretty unbelievable. There are a couple times, too. Kyler, uh, one thing I love about Kyler is, like, when he's got the edge on a defense, he'll, like, put the ball out when he's on the three-yard line or something like that because he knows he's just faster than everybody else. So you got to appreciate that confidence. But, yeah, I mean, this, this offense is still very weird for the Cardinals. I don't really trust anybody – even honestly, Hollywood Brown, 39% of the air yards, 34 routes run in this game. He turns 11 targets into just six for uh, 68. I feel like everybody's kind of playing out of position until DeAndre Hopkins gets back. And yeah, I think that um, Andy and I, I'm sure we'll have more information tomorrow to talk about like, you know, Benjamin, Daryl Williams, um, those type of guys. But I, I agree with you. If you're picking somebody up, it's probably going to be Benjamin. You know what else frustrated me? I, I had Greg Dortch on my sleeper list and on one hand, four for 55 and a touchdown. You're like, okay, that's, that's pretty good for like a 10 or $11 DFS guy. But he only had four targets. And you know, when Ertz and Brown get double-digit targets, that tells me that they're, they're never going to view him or unlikely to view him as a significant part of the offense. And eventually they're going to get other people back. Moore's going to come back. We know Hopkins will come back next month. So this is a case where Dorch outkicked what you expected him to do this week, or he beat his projection, or he earned, you know, he earned back his AD is a salary in, in DFS. And yet I feel like I like him less now than maybe I did 48 hours ago. Yep, I think that's right. I, honestly, I think he's just an injury replacement for Rondo Moore. And, you know, we'll see if Rondo Moore can actually, I mean, shoot, if Rondo Moore had a damn, um, you know, f- 
what, like a seven or uh, where was the, this guy was at Greg Dortch at 5.3 average depth of target. Like, yeah, they'll they'll take that. It, Rondale Moore truthers will take that. So I think that's pretty much all he is. at this fun, point. Fun question. You're not allowed to elaborate. If they did a superstars for the quarterbacks where they, you know, they do the relay race and you know, they, they, they play tennis and they take a golf shot. Would Kyler Murray win? Because I think he would. I think he would, too. Freaky, freaky athlete. Um, all the way around would be, uh, I think he'd be a great baseball player if he wanted to be. And who knows, you know, maybe someday he will be that player. I don't know, man. The amount of like call of duty. I mean, even Scott Hansen on red zone saying like Kyler Murray answered the call of duty there. So, um, I don't know, maybe he can get away from the, the football stink or the call of duty stink. If he leaves it's nice football. to see him healthy again, because he was hurt yeah. for such a chunk of last season. And I think it was easy to forget because there's so many, we're at a time where there's so many great quarterbacks that Kyler Murray kind of get pushed down the pecking order because he missed games. And then when he came back, he didn't want to run because he was hurt. It's just fun to see Kyler Murray doing Kyler Murray things again. hundred percent. Yeah. And he, he's like a, he's definitely a fantasy difference maker from a quarterback position. He was the QB four in this game uh, behind such luminaries as Joe Flacco, Carson Wentz and Tua. Speaking of which let's move to the game that Carson Wentz participated in lines, 36 commanders, 27. There's a lot to talk. These two teams are actually kind of loaded with fantasy guys, but we'll start on the Lions. who um, Scott, they are the picture perfect um, carnival team. Like your carnival theory. This is, this is the team hundred percent this year. Although the commanders might have something to say about that too. These are honestly both two teams that have the bad defenses, but really fun offense. But man, how can we honestly start? Anywhere but with Amon Ross St. Brown. Eight straight games with at least eight catches for St. Brown. That ties Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown for an NFL record. The guy has a 35.3% target share today, 29% of the air yards. He's right up there with DJ Chark for the team lead in that category. Three end zone targets. Scott, why is Amon Ross St. Brown not a wide receiver one for the rest of the season? No, he he, he sure is. And you know, as much as we love him with the air yards and, and winning downfield. They're also scheming him the ball. They're handing him the ball. They're, they're, yeah. He's winning in tight spaces. He's winning at the goal line. There's nothing, there's no route he can't run right now. And it's important to note with both these teams, because look, Goff's not a star and Wentz yeah. isn't a star, but they're good enough. And exactly. they both are surrounded by so much good skill talent. And Carnival, I think a Carnival is going to apply to both these teams. These teams yep. are going to blow leads sometimes. They're going to keep the other team in the game. They're going to play at a fast tempo when they fall behind. We Wentz played very poorly in the first half. The Lions had three-touchdown lead. Didn't matter. The Lions will escort you down the field and make a game out of it. Twitz also covered 13 of their last 19 games. Despite only four wins, they're 4-15 and 15 straight up, 13-6. and six. ATS, they are an ATM if you've been betting on them. Although, in this game, they were actually favored. But again, Wentz and Goff are good enough. St. Brown, I love it. When, you know, we've seen this with Curtis Samuel, right, who I know you've been a longtime fan of. You know, How do we get this guy to ball? Sometimes just hey, put it in his belly, let him run with it. They, yeah. When they did that to Brown today, uh, St. Brown today, he had one long run and another chunk play run. Just my, my heart goes all flutter because they're making him a featured part of this offense. That's a pretty big statement for a team that has TJ Hawkinson, a team that has DeAndre Swift, a team that just drafted a receiver in the first round of Jameson Williams, although he's a few weeks away maybe a few months away. And obviously DJ Chark's a pretty good football player too. Right now, this team is about St. Brown. And and I'm at the point now where if you tell me somebody went to USC, it's like when the Steelers draft a receiver, we get all excited. Seriously. The USC wide receiver room, it, it, it hurt not to have Michael Pittman here today. And I feel like yeah. the Colts could play for nine hours and they wouldn't have scored. But <laughs> Drake London looks the part. St. Brown's been terrific. Uh, that USC receiver room fight on, you know, shout out to Melissa Kasky, our former colleague, who's a, a big USC fan. But, 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm all about this Lions team. They are a primary screen team for me because they're going to score and they're going to give it up. And when they get in the end zone, we know where the ball's going. It's the guys that we're playing for fantasy and guys that we have high ranks for. And then today they exceeded them. You're so right that the offense is designed around Amon Ross St. Brown and the offense is good because of it. This is what killed me about the whole, like, well, he did this with his team. His teammates weren't there last year. I mean, that like argument is so like, everybody's got to take the L on that obviously, but um watch the games and like he's good he's so good in that role and and he's so great at what they ask him to do so this this should just continue you know i had somebody i told somebody this weekend that like to take a package that included t higgins over a package that included Amon Ross St. Brown. And I already regret it. Like, I think that St. Brown could probably be better than, than T Higgins this year. Although they got back Drake London in that package. And I think Drake London's gonna be great. We'll talk about him later, but um, St. Brown be a third round pick, a second round pick. Where would he fall? I think he'd be a second. I think he'd be a second. second? Cause there's, there's just no, there's no like reasonable story to tell yourself where this stops. Like that's kind of where we're at right now with him because he, that it, it comes back to talent. It comes back to ability and the way they deploy that talent on the field is just so good. Like I, I've been calling him Bud Light Cooper cup since before the Lions drafted him, Scott. And I'm retiring that nickname right now. Cause it's too disrespectful. like, and no shade to Bud Light, but it's just too disrespectful to Amon Ra St. Brown because he is that good. Like, He's not Bud Light Cooper Cup anymore. He's just like I think he's like right up there with with with. How, uh, eventually, he's going to be as good as Cooper Cup is. I think at this point, which sounds crazy. Like I was always saying for years when AJ Brown was on the Titans, can't you just give this guy ten targets off the bus? It sure seems like the Lions start every day with okay, okay, St. Brown, you're getting ten plus targets today. I, I don't know when they're going to come, but at the end of the day, you're going to have 11, 13, 15 targets, whatever it is. You are a featured part of this offense, no matter where the game script goes. And we can't say that about that many players, no. but he's one of them. So, yeah, second round pick for Sun God, I'm in. 100% in. Um, we could probably do an hour-long Amon-Ra uh, Sun God appreciation pod, but we'll move to the commanders here. Um, little update on the Wentz wagon. Uh, he definitely had a uh, had a Wentz play for that safety. He had some Wentz moments in this game, but he finishes the day number one in total dropbacks, top 10 in EPA per dropback among quarterbacks this week. Like you said, these guys aren't stars, but they're good enough. They're like, I mean, teams are starting, uh, ironically, another pair of one and two draft picks in the same year, but like Jameis Winston and, and Marcus Mariota, these guys are better than that. You know, like they're the better versions of those two players. Um, and man, everybody on the commanders is getting in on the carnival too. Curtis Samuel, you mentioned him, 20 targets through two weeks, 6.1 air yards per target today, 72% of his snaps from the slot. He got absolutely rocked on his touchdown, Scott, but still held on to it. Um, by the way, if you know any losers out there who log on to the internet and and want to talk uh, crap about players who get injured, like people talk about Curtis Samuel, don't, show them that play. That. Yeah, show show them that play and remind them that they would turn to dust if that happened to them. Um, Samuel gets up, scores a touch, and I was awesome. John Dotson, also still awesome. Just absolutely dominant on contested catches. His deep one today, he got one. His third touchdown through two weeks, he had another contested catch. Ran a route on 100% of Wentz's dropbacks. This does make me want to ask you, though, Scott, about Terry McLaurin, who through two weeks, 26% of the air yards, 14% target share, 12 targets, six catches, 133 yards. I've been hesitant to do it, but are, is it time to adjust expectations for Terry McLaurin? With, and, and Scott, by the way, is nodding his head vigorously, yes. Yeah, man, is this hurts. He's one of my favorite players. He's a competitive guy. He's a really smart route runner. I know he's graded well in your metrics. But the Washington Commander is in a very unusual position right now. They have too many good players because Samuel, yeah. and again, they schemed a long run for Samuel too. He did a 21-yard run. 
um, I, I love the fact that he's getting, he's become like kind of the poor, the poor man's Debo Samuel or, or the, you know, the discount Debo Samuel where they're being really creative with him. Logan Thomas get in the end zone again. He's a good football player. So Carson Wentz does not have to target anybody proactively. He can just go to the good matchup. And, and again, as you said, it was the total Wentz experience. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that if you watch him <laughs> for the wrong 15 minutes, you'll wonder why he's still in the league. But I, I'm going to take McLaurin down like a half tier. And dare I say it, Matt, is Carson Wentz going to win the breakup, right? I mean, the Colts were so done with Wentz. Get Matt Ryan in here. Here's our upgrade. And I admit, I, like, I, that made me like Pittman even more because I thought Ryan was better than Wentz at this point. But Carson Wentz last year, I mean, you know, Jonathan Taylor's great. And Michael Pittman had a breakout year. But the Colts didn't have a deep, you know, you know Hines isn't a bad player. This Washington team is more playmakers. If they're going to have a healthy version of Samuel, if Dotson's going to be this good right out of the box, they get a healthy Logan Thomas again, who's like maybe their fifth or sixth option. Eventually, they might get Robinson back. Gibson's not a bad player, especially if he doesn't have to be the featured guy in the offense. I think Carson Wentz right now is, man, and the Colts, I mean, they should have lost in week one. I think today they played about as bad of a football game as anybody did. I don't think I'm going to rewatch that because my eyes can't handle it. Carson Wentz is living his best life, man, and that, that's the ultimate revenge on a Colts team that could not wait to get him out the building. Yeah, we'll talk Colts later on. I think I would say that these two, while all of the national narrative was that like the Colts are going to win this breakup, I'm not sure I'm ready to say that. Like, I think these two both needed to break up, honestly, because sure, my, my sure. read on this, which I think is it's interesting because the, the narrative, again, was, oh, Frank Reich knows uh, Carson Wentz. I think the Colts in that offense – tried to put him in a box and like make everything so easy for him that, Hey, you are like, you're, you're going to, you won't make mistakes because everything will be easy in this little box that we're going to put you in. But it, you can't put Wentz in a box, man. Like he's, he's going to break out of it at some point. Cause he's just a wild player. And Scott Turner, the most underrated offensive play caller in the entire NFL. Love him. Oh, just love this guy. I mean, just what a great offense. I know they lost the game, but that's not the point. He's gonna. He's like, okay, Wentz, be yourself. You know, he's like, he's the new partner, the new romantic partner. He's like, just be yourself, be wild, be crazy, and we'll just we'll make those mistakes together, but we'll learn and we'll grow and we'll still make some big plays on the other side of this man. So that's why I think Wentz can win the breakup, but the Colts are still better off for having moved on. Basically, your two takeaways here: nobody puts baby in a corner, and nobody <laughs> puts Carson Wentz in a box. That's exactly right. You cannot put Carson Wentz in a box. I do think you're putting like Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel in your like flex spots pretty much going forward. And I agree with you as much as it hurts. I'll probably move Terry McLaurin down a little bit. Not that I like, he's not a guy I'm rushing to sell or anything. He's going to still have some big weeks, but um, I thought he had a pass like top 12. I don't think he has a path to top 12 within this offense with all these guys around him, basically. Totally uh, agree. Their favorite receiver right now is the guy with a good matchup. God, these guys are good. I love this offense. All right. Rams 31, Falcons 27. The Rams this is another one. They 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 tried their best to give this damn game away. Obviously, for me, the one thing that that came away right from the jump was, you know, th this team got Allen Robinson involved right away. He was the target on Matthew Stafford's first pass. He caught the first touchdown of the game. He also should have had a second uh touchdown. The Rams lined him up in the backfield. Allen Robinson getting targets out of the backfield like his Cooper Cup. I mean, my God, uh, send me to heaven now. They threw him the ball. Um, uh, he scored that touchdown, but it was wiped out due to a medical timeout, which I've never seen before <laughs> in, in all my times uh, watching the NFL, which is very strange. But um, yeah, he, I think Allen Robinson's fine. He, only five targets, but you know, for the most part, like he's going to be that boom bust wide receiver too. The backfield split was was pretty interesting, Scott. It just looks like we're kind of back to that 
the, what what Sean McVay and Liam Cohen said in the offseason, which was we're, this is going to be a split backfield. Yeah, they let Akers, you know, he hardly played in the opener and he blew that blitz assignment. And I thought maybe it would be a multiple week doghouse. And they he was essentially the lead back today. You get about the 60-40 compared to Henderson. Henderson had more efficiency and had the touchdown. But now I think next week, just based off this usage, you probably have to rank Akers a little bit higher or at least have them even. Where this week I had Henderson playable and Akers is like, no way, you can't play this guy. Um, Cooper Cup's just unstoppable. He's unfair. I, I pity anybody who goes up against Cooper Cup because he's just going to yeah. have double-digit targets every game, double-digit catches every game. If you know, def- Defensive coordinators had all summer to try to figure out if there's a way to stop Cooper Cup because there wasn't last year, and they haven't figured it out because he just, you know, Buffalo's got a good defense, and uh, the Falcons really don't, but whatever. Cup's done whatever he wanted in this game. Flip it over. I guess Arthur Smith has the keys to, to Drake London, and he's been unlocked through two games. Oh. I'm just – I'm so glad, you know, I didn't draft Kyle Pitts a lot, but I wanted to, and I was really afraid that Kyle Pitts would have this breakout party and I wouldn't be included in it. And now I'm just frustrated as a football guy thinking, I know Kyle Pitts is open. I know Kyle Pitts is a matchup freak. I know there's really no good way to defend him, and every week I see him doing almost nothing. Yeah, yeah Marcus Mariota is not the ideal quarterback, but it's not holding Drake London back. What do we tell the suffering Kyle Pitts managers right now? Yeah, I had somebody say this to me today, and we'll come back to Drake London because uh, that was what what sparked the thought. Was like, is it time to panic on Kyle Pitts? I'm like, well, I don't really know what panicking about is going to like. What good's that going to do for you? you can't because do anything, right? You can't can't do anything about it. Like, you're not going to trade him for freaking Gerald Everett or something like that, right? Um, that's not how this works. And you know, Arthur Smith. God, this guy, this guy's like quote gold, by the way. And anytime he interacts with the media, he got testy today again. And, you know, somebody was asking about Kyle Pitts targets. He said, well, it's not fantasy football. We're, we're trying to win. Well, buddy, got some news for you about that. That's not exactly going so well either. Um, all the usage metrics, are, I think, are like a deployment metrics are good for Kyle Pitts. 29 routes today. That was the most on the team. They're not having him line up out wide anymore. 34.6% of his snaps were out wide today. That was again, a continuation from last week. Like I think they've got the deployment right right now. I'm still saying that it'll come for Kyle Pitts. He might not be, you know, if you took him in the late third round, like that, that might not pay off. And Scott, the biggest reason that I think it might not pay off is because I don't think it's completely unreasonable to sit here right now, despite all of the talk about Kyle Pitts is a unicorn. He's unique from a tight end standpoint. I don't think it's out of the question that Drake London is just the better football player and will command more volume going forward. Because, dude, Drake London, you know, went back and, and charted his week one game, just destroyed the Saints. All, all, I mean, he was unbelievably good in week one. And then he put it like in the box score this week with 12 targets, eight catches, 86 yards and a touchdown. I think he also had a two point conversion as well. That's my big take here is that if Kyle Pitts is truly going to fail, it's because Drake London is just the better football player, which I think is within the realm of possibility. Shout out to our colleague, Michael Lazarus, another USC uh, ties guy who was basically saying to me last year, you're going to want Drake London on your fantasy team. Just, I don't care where he goes, just get him, draft him. Get him in, in re- seasonal, get him in, in keeper. And of course, I have almost no Drake London. And I'm just, you know, not listening to my my smart friend who, who gave me the <laughs> intel ahead of time. And also, just before we close the book on this game, I just want to give a dap to Tyler Higby. He didn't do a lot with his 11 targets last week, but he did get 11 targets today. He got nine targets and caught seven of them. And tight end is just such an ugly position. It feels like there's just so few tight ends who are doing anything of note right now. 
I probably had Tyler Higbee in kind of that anonymous 15 to 17 range before the season. He's earned an upgrade. I think he's inside the the tight end one start line until further notice. He's just getting way too much usage. Yeah, he's getting a lot of usage. They are – I thought it might have been a fluke in week one because they were playing the Bills and they were, you know, just getting, you know, creamed on the offensive line. But they continued to run, like, little pop-gun screens for Tyler Higbee, and I think he looks pretty good doing it. So um, I'll also just say on this game, too, like, this was more of the Cordero Patterson show that we probably expected. Um, ten touches in this game, ten touches for rookie running back Tyler Algier. Um, I still think Patterson's going to be like on the RB3 borderline and, and definitely a value from where he went in drafts, but not really like an every week you set it and forget it type of guy at running back. All right, we'll move on here. And this is the, obviously, you know, it's in the middle of the show, but it's probably the biggest story coming out of Sunday. 49ers 27, Seahawks 7, um, but unfortunately sort of a black cloud hanging over it. Trey Lance has a broken uh, ankle, will undergo season-ending surgery, according to Kyle Shanahan. You could tell that Shanahan was really bo- – like any sort of idea that like, oh, the 49ers are, are really happy about this, this secretly or whatever. He was really pissed about this. Like he was upset after the game, said the whole locker room is upset. And I mean, it just sucks for the kid, man. It just sucks for Trey Lance. This will be uh, – Dan Orlovsky pointed this out on Twitter. Again, another a lot of Dan Orlovsky pop on the show today. Um, he pointed out that this will now be like three years where basically he's not spent uh, much time at all playing like extended football. So – Really stinks for Trey Lance's development, but obviously we just we're back to the Jimmy G show in, in San Francisco. We kind of know how that goes. Yeah, we have no idea who Trey Lance is right now because, as you said, you know he opts out his final year of college. Last year was kind of a redshirt year, and now the unfortunate injury. The positive note is the Niners, more than any other team in football, are able to withstand an injury their starting quarterback yes. because they already know Garoppolo. They came just a couple plays away from going to the Super Bowl last year. And, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo at one point was probably one of the more overrated players in the league. He's not an MVP candidate, but he's certainly a competent player. He's always had a, a juicy YPA. Eventually, this offense will get George Kittle back. We know they have good receivers. We know Debo's a special player. We know Ayuk's a special player. I thought Jeff Wilson looked pretty good as the lead back today. So you know, nobody, nobody's going to cry for the 49ers. It just stinks that we wanted to see the reveal on Trey Lance, and we never got to see it. He, he played a game with horrible weather, and then he gets hurt in this game really before it even starts. So, and, and look, I, I was you know bearish on on Lance before the season, but just he got he got hurt. Nobody knows. There's yeah. no right answer here. You know, I don't want to hear anybody like say, "Oh, that's why you shouldn't have drafted Trey Lance." Stop with that stuff. It's just, it's just silly, right? Because if you know what court, if you know what players are going to have season-ending injuries in week two then you, you know, you must have some kinetic powers that I'm never going to have and, and yeah. good for you when all your fantasy leagues and, and, you know, go and live your jerky life, you know, have some respect, have some humanity and, uh, you know, pour one out for Trey Lance, but you know, Garoppolo can be at least a league average quarterback, maybe a little bit above that winning record. I mean, what Kyle Shanahan's coaching record is so much better with Garoppolo. I know a lot of people wince at the idea of quarterback wins, but the Niners are going to be just fine. I thought Jeff Wilson was pretty good today. I wasn't sure how the breakup would be between who would get the carries and stuff like that. And obviously they probably had a package that involved Lance. They had to throw that into the garbage can right away, but Wilson played a little bit better than I expected. I was not, I already had some Wilson shares before last week. I wasn't trying to spend all my fab on him or, or something like that, but uh, he actually, I like Wilson more today or tonight, I should say than maybe I did 24 hours ago. Yeah, I, I think so too. 20 touches for Jeff Wilson, uh, 14 for Tyrion Davis Price, who's definitely the guy to have over Jordan Mason. This is one of this was one of those situations where in like every single waiver wire article when it's like, oh, Jordan Mason, the number two. We as fantasy folks, 
have got to remember that special teams matter. And like, this is a situation where Tyrion Davis price can be the direct backup to Jeff Wilson or the number three guy on the depth chart. He's just not going to dress because Jordan Mason can play special teams. Um, that's always something to remember, you know, Tyrion Davis price looked okay. at certain times, it doesn't really matter. You know, Debo still gets involved in the run game too. I still am a little concerned for, for Debo who gets nine touches here, six targets. Uh, he gets four carries on the ground. I still think like, even with Jimmy back in there, I'm still, Still a little concerned about Debo, but the one thing I'll say about this with Jimmy back in there is just they looked like they hadn't lost a step, man. It was just like, oh, we, we know this. Like this is just like putting on an old pair of shorts or whatever, man. You just get right back to it, and, and we're we're rocking and rolling with the Jimmy offense again. Most I, I'd say like twenty five teams in the NFL, twenty six teams are screwed if their quarterback gets hurt. The 49ers are one of the rare teams that aren't because they have a competent backup who they're already familiar with. It, it is going to be some team. I mean. God forbid, you know, Justin Herbert's injury is serious or, you know, and somebody's gonna be like, why didn't the Chargers have a better backup quarterback? Because most teams don't. There just aren't, there aren't, there's not even really 32 good enough quarterbacks to start as it is. So the Niners are the one team that was equipped to handle this and, and can still be a contender for the NFC title. You know, DJ Dallas, okay. Last week, Kadarius Tony was scripted an option pass. The pass wasn't there and Tony tucked it in and ran it, didn't throw it. I thought, oh, it's so nice to see that. A player yes. who doesn't go hero ball. Uh, DJ Dallas did not get that memo. They asked him no. to throw a pass. And he said, I'm throwing that ball. This is my chance. This is my it. My chance to get into the quarterback derby with, with Gino and with Drew Locke. I'm going to take over and threw a horrible pick. Uh, uh, it was nice to see Locke have a big game. But, but man, I, I don't know. Maybe Seattle was just emotionally spent after winning their we'll show you Russ Wilson game on Monday. Because uh, I, I don't know when the Seahawks showed up for this game, but it wasn't a kickoff. No, it was not. And I mean, this looked like the Seattle Seahawks offense that I kind of feared, right? Like one receiver goes nuts a little bit. And DK Metcalf still sub 40 yards again, six targets, four catches, 35 yards. Like, yeah, one of these guys and, you know, Lockett, Lockett didn't have a usable game in week one. Metcalf had like a fantasy usable game in PPR, which you know just disgusts people sometimes those sort of PPR games. But and none of the running. I don't. I think this is the sort of running back split that we had to worry about too. Six for fifteen for Penny. Four for ten for Kenneth Walker on the ground. Uh, Kenneth Walker gets involved in the receiving game a bit. But yeah, I mean, if you can break ties in favor of never starting a Seahawk, I think you're going to be all right in fantasy. Yeah, it might just be whack a mole with Lockett and Metcalf. And what's going to inevitably happen is it's going to be certain lists that they show up on. You know, whether it's market share or air yards, and you just have to remember who the quarterbacks are, and you have to remember that there's no buoyancy to this offense, right? I mean, it helps you to be around an offense that matriculates the ball down the field, much as that's not the wrong use of the word, but, you know, uh, RIP Hank Schramm, you know, uh, Lenny Dawson. This team is just, they're going to, I feel like they're going to score like 13 points a week. They scored seven this week. They scored 17 in the win, I think Monday or something like that. I mean, they're going to be under 20 points a week. And and as oversimplification as this is, you want to find the good offenses and invest in their players. This is a bad offense. It doesn't mean Tyler Lockett's bad. It doesn't mean DK Metcalf's bad. But it means that they're dipping up one or maybe two touchdowns a week. And you may or may not, they may or may not be the guy who scores that touchdown. I, you have to avoid the Seahawks, even though they have some talent in their receiver room. Yeah, I think it's pretty much as simple as that. All right, Scott and I have got a lot more recapping to do on the other side. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. 
Tommy and JJ discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right. Um, this one was one of those games that was over fast, um, it, like right from the jump. Like you said, the uh, damn Colts probably could have played, what, for 90 hours and not scored a touchdown, which you said earlier. I think that was pretty much true. Um, interesting note on on this matchup here, Jags and Colts. The Jaguars, I saw this before the kick, like earlier, la- late last week. And so I've just added the, to the total here. The Jaguars are now... Six and 30 in their last 36 games. Four of those victories have come against the Colts. In the 2019 season finale, the 2020 season opener, the 2021 season finale, and today. So um, the Jags stink unless they're playing the Colts. Um, Let's start on the Jaguars side because I think the Colts we can be pretty quick on. I'll start with Christian Kirk before we move to the running backs. Dude, Christian Kirk is going to go down as one of the biggest values in fantasy football this year. 29 routes on 30 dropbacks for Trevor Lawrence today. Um, Six for six targets, six catches, 78 yards, two touchdowns. He looks awesome, too. Um, He's just been great through two weeks. Like contract be damned. Don't don't care about that. Uh, He looks like, honestly, he's worth the contract for the Jaguars in part two because he's just been really good. Yeah, the, the contract gets spun the wrong way. The, the story wasn't, oh, did the Jaguars overpay for Christian Kirk? The story was the Jaguars prioritized Christian Kirk. The Jaguars are obviously going to use him. They're going to view him as the number one. And if you can make a reasonable assumption that Trevor Lawrence with adequate coaching will take a step forward, he had no chance with Urban Meyer. And then you have a guy who's going to be a target hog. Not, not that Kirk went crazy in the targets today, but he was their most targeted guy. He's the most talented receiver in their room. Easy win, right? You draft him as your wide receiver four. He may be your wide receiver two. Yeah. He may be your wide receiver three. He's certainly out kicking his ADP coverage. So I, I think that was an easy one to connect. The thing I couldn't get to with Jacksonville is I don't, and, and it's a great story because I love James Robinson. I had a blast yeah. with him his rookie year. Last year, you know, Meyer wouldn't play him and, and he seemed like he was scapegoated at times and it didn't seem fair. Then he gets hurt at the very end of the year. I don't know how anybody could have expected a lot from Rob. We really weren't even sure if he'd be ready to play opening day or what kind yeah. of workload could he handle. And here he is lugging the mail for the Jaguars. And by the way, I don't think this team stinks. I think this team has swagger. I think this team really believe. look, I mean, everybody has to believe in everything, but I think they really believe. Why not us, right? The Titans are in a down cycle. We just beat the Colts, who looked horrible the week before. We know Houston's rebuilding. I wish I'd gotten, I know some smart people who were in on the Jaguars as a long shot to win this division. And I, I just thought the Colts had too much talent for that to happen, but I at least saw the plausible path to it. I wish I had some of that ticket because I'm sure those odds have come way down. I still may explore it. Why not? Why can't the Jaguars go nine and eight and steal this division? This team, again, I I love the swagger. I love some of the piece. They're a fast defense. They're a physical team. I I think they probably should have won that Washington game. Lawrence played a lot better. I thought today, they have two running backs I like. The receiver room's okay. Competent coaching. I think the Jaguars are going to be a fun team, a pesky team, and I will not take them for granted. And by, by all means, please keep playing Kirk and Robinson until further notice. Yeah, man, I'm with you. Kirk might be a top 20 uh, receiver the rest of the way. We talk about Kyle Pitts. Like I think Kyle Pitts is certainly in the discussion for like the worst early pick that you possibly could have made right now. Travis Etienne is up there too, man. I mean, for all of the 
flowers, deserved flowers for James Robinson, who's just a damn good football player. James Robinson, 24 snaps on rushing downs, eight for Travis Etienne, 16 passing down snaps, all routes run for James Robinson, 14 for Travis Etienne. Um, that's not great. 25 touches for Robinson, 12 for Etienne. Uh, we'll move to the Colts here. <laughs> Do we have to? Uh, well, here's the thing, Scott. I- I'm not totally panicking on the Colts for a couple of reasons. Number one, they, for whatever reason, always lose to the Jags. Very weird. Mm-hmm. They also always start slow in September. They're one of these yep. teams. And I I want to pick uh, Austin Eckler's brain about this again on uh, Eckler's Edge this week about do we need to put more stock into these teams like the Chargers, like the Colts are, are one of them too, that just do not take preseason seriously at all. Like they might just start slow. The, the Colts start slow in September every single year. And like – the the Colts were already shallow, were already light at pass catcher. Now they have to run out like, you know, Michael Straken, I think his name is. Ashton Doolin leads the team with a 24% target share. Paris Campbell, like, I know the big thing with Paris Campbell is he can't stay healthy, but I also don't think he's a very good player either. Like, Michael Pittman, I think by the end of the year, we're going to discuss him as like a bare minimum top 15 receiver, top potentially top 10 receiver in the NFL. Like, I think he can be that good. So losing him and Pierce... It's just an it's a non serious offense, you know, with an aging Matt Ryan behind it right now. This is my Corey Davis parlor game. I want to trade Corey Davis to the Titans to the Titans. Um, actually, I'd be fine with him in the Titans too, but um, back <laughs> yeah, on the seriously. Titans. But I want to trade Corey Davis to the Colts. Man, this anonymous Pittman's great, but I, I was hoping maybe Hines would have a big receiving game. He really didn't oh, have yeah. one. They tried to get a um, a Mac touchdown. I, 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 I'm just going to always wait for Ellie Cox to break out. It's never going to happen. No, it's never going to happen. Um, but he, he just missed. He had one foot out. Uh, Ryan looked skittish. He didn't look like he trusted his protection. A, a very rare off game for Jonathan Taylor. We're not going to worry about that. But I guess it just shows how top-heavy the Colts are. And if something happens long-term to Pittman or Taylor, these guys are in trouble. They don't have the depth at the skill talent. And there's nobody... I mean, there are other teams, like you look at the Titans, right? And they can tell themselves, well, maybe Jalen Burks will be better in a month or two. There's nobody on the Colts where I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is a development guy who in a month or two could could come into some, you know, a new version maybe of Pierce. himself. May- maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe Pierce. Pierce. Yeah, Pierce is the guy, and he wasn't available today. So I'll give you that. Pierce would be the one guy who would fit. He would kind of be their Burks. So that that's a good call by you. But, man, I thought the Colts were going to win this division in a walk, and, and now I, I'm thinking – Maybe I need to reevaluate Frank Reg too. Maybe he's more Norv Turner. We mentioned Scott Turner earlier. His father, Norv Turner, it was kind of like one of those Wade Phillips guys, right? Great coordinator, but maybe he was miscast as a head coach. Maybe Frank Reich is a great quarterbacks coach or a great offensive coordinator, but maybe he's miscast as a head coach. Yeah, I also think we'll always live in this alternate universe with the Colts and Frank Reich. Like, what if Andrew Luck had never retired? We don't need Fair. to do this whole thing, but like, and they didn't have to cycle through all these quarterbacks, but the Wentz thing is on Frank Reich. And, you know, I, I think the Matt Ryan thing was still a really good idea that fell into their laps, but their offensive line has also sprung a few leaks. And that's a real big problem for Matt Ryan. He was a bottom three quarterback in EPA per drop back when pressured this week. And like that he was harassed all week. Has it, has it been, I know this was last week, but what is it? Eight or nine openers they've lost in a row. When, when you're losing that often in week one, and, and you said, you're going to talk to Austin about this there's going to be something wrong with your process. You're not preparing right. And maybe teams, I think teams have gone too far with, I get it, bubble wrap your best players. Nobody wants your season to end in August. But I don't think the right amount of first team reps in August is zero. I think you need to run a little bit. You need to give these guys some time to get some cohesion built. No, fair fair enough. I I, I think I 
I think it's worth asking, right? Like, I think it's a discussion that, that we should have. And because the NFL, and I don't know that I actually don't know that there's any way to put the genie back in the bottle um, with this. Like, I think like this is how it's going to be pretty much. But um, I do think we have to at least kind of ask that question. Uh, is is this the right way to approach? Pre- or do we as fantasy players just need to adjust and like not care about slow September starts? I don't know the answer to that for some of these teams. And that's something. Yeah, ten, 10 years from now, first. fantasy leagues will not be counting week one. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, my, fantasy. My league, what are you crazy? Everybody drafts after week one. We all know yeah. that, right? But nobody plays week one. You don't, you don't draft in October, you idiot. What are you? Oh, yeah, 100%. This this is why you never draft a fantasy team before September thirtieth. Uh, yeah. Uh, in in all honesty, though, you drafts are still open in Yahoo, right? If you've got a team, say you you had Dak Prescott, say you had Trey Lance, right? Say you just everything's fallen wrong for you, uh, set up another league. Why not draft and and try to see when St. Brown goes or try try to fade the market if you think you know where everything's going. There's nothing wrong with starting another league, man. And I've been known to do it. Who knows? Maybe I'll be making some phone calls tomorrow. Yeah, there you go. I actually think Yahoo it would Sports. be fun. It would be fun to see uh, to see the draft at this point. Like it's it's crazy. Um, all right, next game up here: Cowboys twenty, Bengals seventeen. Whew, the legend of Cooper Rush begins. Um, man, uh, he was flinging the ball downfield. Cooper Rush in in uh, his relief starts for or his relief work for Dak last week. Much more like economical six yards, uh, six air yards per pass in this one. The guys that we think are going to get the ball are going to get like they got the ball in this one, right? Like CeeDee Lamb actually turned his 11 yards down into two catches, but seven catches. Uh, Noah Brown, though, popped up for some big plays, which helps like they need that. And the Bengals, man, are just off to a slow start at this point. Yeah, I, the, the encouraging thing for me is 11 targets for CeeDee Lamb. So he was still the primary guy, even though it was Noah Brown who had the early touchdown. So maybe I, I think I speculated on fantasy football live that CD would maybe be 80 or 85% of what we originally thought. May, who knows? Maybe he'd be a little bit better than that. Obviously rush is a downgrade from Prescott. Nobody would dispute that. Now the Cowboys won. So there's no strong encouragement to change anything, but man, Pollard looked electric. Pollard looked yeah. really, really good. And I, I know this is the oldest thing going that, you know, Zeke's getting up there in age. He's taking a lot of hits. Pollard's the young, you know, the fresh back. Let's, let's get him more involved. I'd like to see that more 60-40 or 50-50. I don't know if the Cowboys have it in them. Again, when teams win, a lot of times they're less likely to change things. And it's it's just hard to watch Joe Burrow right now. I don't think yeah. – I know the Bengals spend all this money on the offensive line. It's going to take what we talked last week about it needing time to gel. It hasn't gelled yet. The Cowboys were in his grill all day. And this is a game the Bengals were a touchdown favorite or something. They're supposed to come in here and name the score. And I thought the Cowboys were the better team all day. Yeah, on your point about uh, Tony Pollard, I think that that was well taken. That was kind of a big takeaway for me here. He only ran 12 routes, but he got seven targets uh, on those routes. So, like, they're clearly designing some stuff for him. And just overall, like you said, looked explosive, 13 touches, 43 total yards. Like, this was the thing with Tony Pollard, right, is, like, they needed him. They needed him. They needed him in the passing game. And I, I was glad to see that after he had a really rough week one showing. So that was good. And, yeah, I mean – I think we could look back at the Bengals in four weeks, like sort of what we were just talking about, like, and, and they might look totally fine. I think you just kind of have to live through the lumps and probably not panic on these guys. That's kind of where I'm at. 13 sacks in two weeks, man. And, and, and look, tough. and I know you've said this before. I mean, sacks are on the quarterback sometimes as much as the offensive line. Burroughs need, needs to get rid of the ball sometimes. Yes, but he does. It's just hard. You know, you're waiting for, you want to give Chase another half second to get open, right? Because you know an explosive play can happen and he's looking downfield, but, 
you know, they, they need to fix that. You can't, you can't live with your quarterback. Not, not only are sacks destroyers of, of drives and you, it just breaks up your momentum and means you usually have to punt, but you just don't want your quarterback on the turf that much either. Yeah, that's, that's well said. They need to change some things. They need to adjust. All right. Giants 19, Panthers 16. The Giants are 2-0 and in the Brian Dayball era, baby. And we've got some changes in the wide receiver core. Kenny Galladay re- re- relegated to two snaps in this one. Uh, he was actually too, too not. <laughs> well, Scott, you might you, you might be right about that because Kenny Galladay apparently was not in the locker room. His locker was empty 15 minutes after the cooling off period for postgame media. I saw someone report that today. I can't remember who it was. My bad on that. But um, that that's tough. Kadarius Tony still not in the good graces of this staff. Just three targets, 15 routes, negative 2.3 air yards per target. So they're just kind of they're not ready to have him be an integrate like regularly integrated into the offense yet. Meanwhile, Sterling Shepard, baby, 39 routes, second most on the team, 42.9% of the team air yards, 10 targets overall. Um, I think Shepard needs to be on rosters everywhere. Saquon didn't have the big explosive game. Um, I mean, honestly, you could say this was the game of like the two injury question top-level running backs, right, Scott? But they both sort of checked the box. Saquon, 85.7% of the snaps, 24 touches. CMC got right back to the usage we usually expect. 92.6% snap rate, 19 touches overall, 19 target share as well for CMC. I said a lot of nice things about Baker Mayfield before the season. I would like him to start validating some of those things because I know one of your bold predictions was DJ Moore leading the league in receiving yards. And look, part of the idea is to have it be bold. It's not like you wanted to bet your mortgage on it, but right. And mm-hmm. Moore got a touchdown this game, but you know, the, the target share wasn't there. Robbie Anderson kind of went back into mothballs and I blame Baker. Baker does not look comfortable. He looks like he just met these guys five minutes before the game. It was another quiet McCaffrey game until he busted out like a 50 yard run or so in the middle of the game. But I, I don't think he's really looked great through two weeks. And it's really B- Baker is the common thread of the offense. They need Baker Mayfield to at least be an average quarterback, or if not, maybe a little bit above average for these guys to, you know, for McCaffrey and for more to justify where we drafted them. And I'm worried. I'm worried that I was wrong on Mayfield. And it wasn't that I expected him to come in and be the MVP of the league or something. I just thought, well, he's better than Teddy Bridgewater, right? He's better than Sam Darnold, right? I'm, I'm waiting, Baker. I've defended you. I gave you an excuse for week one. Browns have a good defense. Giants defense is okay. It's not certainly not the 86 Giants or anything like that. Let me ask you this. Fun with redraft. Would you take McCaffrey or Barkley in a start uh, in a seasonal league right now, given the choice of those two guys? Great question. I think I'm still going to go CMC, but I do think Saquon has officially joined that tier and would be third. Uh, would would be the third guy there at running. The thing about here. Barkley is, I just feel like he's going to get twenty plus touches off the. I mean, today yeah. he you know he really didn't go anywhere. Still got twenty one carries. He's active in the passing game, and the Giants. You, you know, I mean, I share your optimism for Shepard. I've always liked him. He seems to have trouble staying healthy for a full season, and that's not a knock. Again, if I took one NFL hit, I'd probably never walk again. But. They really need somebody. I mean, look, Richie James is, a, is like a nice receiver, no, yeah. four receiver, five. David right Sills, now, one of their... give me a break. Yeah, right, right. Yes, yeah, Sills, right? Yeah, what, Crosby and Nash weren't available, and then they're throwing it to Sills. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, Daniel Jones, man, I, he's going to be like, we're, we're, we're the real receivers, right? Why, why yeah. am I playing with the B team? They Again, my Corey Davis trade. You know, the Jets and Giants are never going to make a trade. I'd love to see Corey Davis on this team, too. Yeah. Or, Garrett Wilson or, you know, uh, anybody, Chris Olave. But um, Giants are 2-0 somehow, and I think it's just if Barkley can handle it, he's going to be the runaway leader. I think he's going to – if he plays a full season, I think he's going to have 50 more touches than anybody else, including Jonathan Taylor. I I think that's how much they're going to rely on him. 
Yeah, they're going to need him because he's the only guy with juice right now. That again, Kadarius Tony's very talented player, but they do not, they can't re, re, like integrate him into the offense. And I, I completely understand why at this point. Um, all right, next game up: Broncos sixteen, Texans nine. Oh my god! I mean, this was this was rough, man. This was really rough uh, for the Broncos for most of this game. Russell Wilson was six of nineteen at the half and looked it too. Like I know there were some drops here and there, but it was it's just offense just. Looks out of sorts. Jerry Judy hurts his shoulder in this game. That's a bummer for him because he looked like he was, you know, he looked really good in week one. I was impressed with Jerry Judy's route running and everything like that. Um, Cortland Sutton gets to 122 yards because he could dominate the target share without Jerry Judy. But this is, I don't, I don't feel good about the Broncos offense at all. I'm really nervous. I want to burn everything I wrote about the Broncos. I expected them. I, I expected Wilson to have a really strong year. And even with the week one loss, I thought, well, hey, Williams was very active in the passing game. Hey, Albert O, I thought was really good. So I bet uh no, nothing crazy, but I made a small bet on on the Williams receiving prop, which came nowhere close to hitting today. I played Albert O in a league or two. I believe he had zero catches. And this again, this is the team that looked like they met five minutes before the game. I mean, I know the Broncos yeah. won this game. It felt like they lost. You know, yeah, uh, in Houston, you should be able to do whatever you want against Houston. The hardest time to play Denver at altitude is in September, and if. Davis Mills had a little bit of help from his teammates today who dropped some passes. He also sailed a couple of balls too. Uh, Houston could easily could have won this game and there'd be the Texans would be one Oh and one. I I'm really worried that I got a lot of stuff wrong about the Broncos. The only thing we really feel good about today was Sutton balling out on the flip side. And I didn't hear of Rex Burkhead getting hurt. I don't think there was an injury there. I'm glad that the Texans, whatever rookie initiation they needed Pierce to go through Damian Pierce. He, <laughs> yeah. he apparently, I don't know if he had to carry somebody's luggage or sing the fight song at, you know, at mess hall. I don't know what they wanted him to do, but they steered into their best running back and he looked good. And now we can play Pierce with a level of confidence into week three, which is all we really wanted with him. You know, let, let him be a reliable mid to lower end running back too. I think that's reasonable for him. The Texans don't have a bad offensive line. I still think Mills is an okay quarterback, um, but man, I'm really afraid that, Anything, any investment I put in the Broncos, any confidence I put in this team was misguided. I think Javante will be okay. Um, I'm still nervous about Cortland Sutton when he, um, I, I think Damian Pierce, by the way, uh, is just a victim of like expectations getting too crazy. Like in week one is going to roll out there and, and he's going to get, what did he get? Like 11 carries or whatever. Um, we would have, we would have like taken that to the bank and be like, all right, it's going to happen. Or 12, 12 touches in week one for Damian Pierce. We would have been like ec- ecstatic about that. Right. And then for the coaching staff to come out and say, I look, got a lot respect for Lovey Smith coming out there and saying exactly what they needed to do, which was get Damian Pierce more involved, not Rex Burkhead. And that's what we got. So I agree with you. Pierce is like a low end RB two, mid low end RB two that you can feel okay about. All right, let's move to this next game surprisingly cratered down the rankings here bucks saints um obviously man the the legend of the marshawn Lattimore uh mike evans matchup continues to grow in this one mike evans thrown out of the game along with marshawn Lattimore for fighting i believe mike evans ran off i, I only caught like a glimpse of this ran off the sideline to <laughs> to fight Marshawn Lattimore because he was getting in the mix with Brady and Leonard Fournette. Uh, so Russell Gage ended up being the top receiver and didn't amount to much. 28 routes on 35 Brady dropbacks, you know, uh, six, just 65% of the snaps, six targets, five catchers, 28 yards overall. It's it's uh, this Bucks offense just looks a little weird outside of Leonard Fournette, who has been dominant uh, 80. Well, not he wasn't you know great and fancy, but from an opportunity standpoint, 86% of the snaps, 26 touches overall. 
I mean, you you can the Bucks. It's kind of like last week with San Francisco and Chicago. The game was played in a monsoon, so you throw it out. The Bucks don't match up well with the Saints' defense, and again, the Bucks won the game. It feels in some ways like they lost, but they don't play well against this defense. They didn't have Godwin. They didn't have Julio Jones. They only had Evans for part of the game. And then, you know, Evans came there to do two things. One, get in a fight with the Lattimore. And then two, find some Mike Evans fans on the sidelines and, and give them some swag on the way out. And then Tom Brady spent the rest of the day throwing the ball to like, he's still on the, they still have Scotty Miller. They still have Brashad Perryman. I, I guess I know. so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Perryman, man, nice touchdown catch to bail them out. Really disappointed to see. Well, first of all, look. James Winston's got what broken bones in his back. I mean, I, yeah, again, I, I don't know how you play football with that stuff. I mean, I'm sure he's on some kind of painkiller. Played a horrible three quarters of football. Michael Thomas get bailed out by the late touchdown. Obviously, obviously, Kamara was not available today. But if Jameis isn't going to be healthy, man, I mean, I wanted, I was kind of walking back. I faded Thomas before the season. I liked that second half he played last week. I thought he and Jameis showed some good chemistry. So I was walking a lot of that back. I, I mentioned it today on, on Fantasy Football Live that I think maybe Thomas is a, a set-and-forget guy. Late touchdown aside, man, I, I don't want to watch Jameis play if he's hurt. I don't want to watch yeah. Andy Dalton play. I, I think we all know Taysom Hill isn't really an answer quarterback. He's just a gadgety specialty player for them. And a day where the Buccaneers couldn't do really anything right on offense and we're just asking the Saints to take the game, the Saints couldn't do it. It feels like Mark Ingram is... 37, 38 years old. I mean, you're good for him for still playing football and everything, but he's not the answer. What an ugly division, man. I mean, the, the Falcons, you know, blew, blew the game last week. Uh, the, the Saints had this game. They couldn't win it. Um, maybe only nine or 10 wins is all you need. And, you know, the Buccaneers get to feel great that they were able to soft pedal. I think they're really kicking themselves probably for bringing Godwin back in week one, right? They probably yeah, should have given Godwin they all of be. September back. Get healthy. We've got Julio. They didn't have him today. We'll make do. You know, Brady did what he did today, you know, again, with with lesser receivers. But I throw all the Tampa Bay stuff out. The problem with New Orleans is that if Jameis isn't healthy, I don't know what to do with their passing game. Yeah, because I don't want to be too hard on Jameis. He was rough in this game, um, just because of the injury. Like, uh, like you said, it was it four like fr- like fractures in his back or something? I mean, my God, that sounds horrible. Um, it does. Nick Underhill, I did think that he said this morning that it's something they feel like he can just play through and rest, and like it'll get better with time. I mean, I hope so because this I still really like this receiver core. Michael Thomas ran a route on eighty nine point four percent of the dropbacks. That was a bit of an increase from week one. Saw an end zone target. He still looks really good. I think you know he's a high end three, low end two maybe. Um, Chris Olave took a step ahead of Jarvis Landry in this game. Olave um, ran a route on eighty five percent of the dropbacks. Landry was kind of marginalized down there to seventy seven routes per dropback. Um, just thirteen percent of the targets. Two point eight percent of the air yards overall not 2.8 air yards per target 2.8 percent of the air yards overall and chris olave 63 over 300 air yards 63 percent didn't turn into a big results five catch for 80 yards on 13 targets but there were a couple of like Jameis balls that sailed uh to olave down the field listener promise me one thing if chris olave is dropped in any of your leagues over the next few weeks i want you to pick him up and wait because it's there's going to be he's going to be one of those guys who spikes in the second half of the season couldn't agree with you more. I love Chris Olave. All right, last game here, and I feel like these two teams might make it to the bottom of our list quite speed often round. this, this is year. Speed <laughs> round. <laughs> Patriots 17, Steelers 14. Um, you know, Najee Harris, 20 touches, 89 total yards. He just does it even if he's not 100% healthy. It's, and the Steelers wide receivers, 
you can't you really can't be playing Pickens right now, even though he ran around on 35, 37 dropbacks. Even Chase Claypool, 100 percent of routes per dropback. Like you can't play Deontay Johnson just eating up the volume, man. Doesn't matter. Forty one point five percent of the air yards, thirty point three percent of the targets. Only 10 targets, six catches, 57 yards. Like they need to play Kenny Pickett, bro. It's just so, so, so obvious. And Friar Moose got the touchdown. I, I think we can go further with Claypool and Pickens. I would approve of dropping them. Not, not yeah. that you have to drop them, but if you need to find space for other needs that you have, because if you can't play them proactively in the next coming week or a couple of weeks, if you need, if you need a show me game before you're going to play them, and I don't even think Claypool has that much of an upside because Pickens is probably more talented. And if they yeah, throw a short touchdown, you think it's probably going to go to Fryer Muth. And every week you think that Johnson's going to be the target leader. What do you? Uh, what is the upside for Claypool? Plus, they they've kind of had a weird relationship with him the time he's been there. Anyway, I I think you should drop Claypool, and I, I would think about dropping Pickens too. And if you never make a cut that you don't regret later in the season, you're playing far too conservatively. As far as the Patriots, interesting that Damian Harris got more run than Stevenson. Both were effective, yeah. but ha Harris operated as the lead back. I fell into this somewhat. I, I wanted to believe with – I never bought Ty Montgomery as being their third down guy. Of course, he ended up getting hurt anyway. But I, I always thought Stevenson had more upside. They don't seem to be interested in Harris for a second contract. But right now, Damian Harris is the is the 65, and Stevenson is the 35. You know, He's, he's the one. He's the two. And I think I – had a great moment to maybe get in on Harris and didn't take advantage of it. I know Aguilar had the touchdown today, went over a hundred yards. There were no right answers to the Patriot receiving game. It's a game of bingo. It's just like a big, you know, wheel of fortune and you're just going to hit bankrupt more often than not. You have, you, you need to have better receivers than what the Patriots have. So please Deontay Johnson approved for all leagues. Eventually the other Steeler receivers maybe become interesting if, if Pickett ends up getting in there or later in the season, yeah. but I don't see any right answers on the new England side of the passing game. I, w I think you're shortchanging Jacoby Myers just a little bit. He did catch nine balls for 95 yards today. No, you're, you know, targets. you are right. You are right. Myers is like a great depth play where yeah. you're going to play him like, like this week, week guy or this week. You know, if you, you you didn't have Pittman, maybe you plugged in Myers, you know, something yeah. like that. Or a bye week guy for sure. Actually, Jacoby Myers is going to catch those 75 balls. He'd probably only catch four touchdowns, but I'll give you that. Because the thing with Myers is what he does has there's a consistency, there's a drumbeat to Myers that nobody else in this offense, in this passing game, is going to have. So I stand corrected. You actually gave sound advice. Jacoby Myers is a very good first guy off your bench. I'll, I'll totally sign off on that, especially in PPR formats. Good, because I, I love I love Jacoby Myers, and I just think Me too. Like, I I just think he's a good player. Like he's Plus, not he'll throw great. a touchdown he, pass at some point too. Exactly, yeah, and that's always fun. We threw, I think he threw two last year, which is pretty crazy. That he's like thrown more touchdowns. The Patriots, the Patriots want to have the most non-quarterback quarterbacks in in, in the league. They, they won't be happy until you know Edelman was that guy. Mohamed Sanu was who they traded a number two pick for for God knows what reason. Oh, was man. that guy wow. Jacoby Myers? Yeah, you're, you're right. I was wrong to slight Myers. Um, but no, no offense to Nelson Aguilar. If you play him next week, I guarantee you're getting 13 yards. Yeah, agree. 36.2% uh, of the air yards for Jacoby Myers, 38.2% target share. And that's pretty constant through the first two. The, we can both agree that the wrong answer was Devontae Parker, who, you know, come on, give me a break already with Devontae Parker. Uh, all right, Scott, that's going to do it for us. Remind the people out there about your article that comes out on Sunday night. For sure. Yeah. Booms and busts. I talk about uh, just the, the highlights of the day, the guys who exceed the expectations, the guys who let us down. There's a bunch of bulleted content at the bottom. So it's just kind of my debrief along with this talk with Matt. Uh, check that out. And then I'll be doing a big picture piece 
on Wednesdays. Last last week it was, is this going to be the year of the receiver? Uh, and all sorts of content during the week. Uh, do, do some sleepers on Thursday. We do some collective pieces. So, you know, like Matt, I'm, I'm in here every day trying to help you and trying to make you um, a better fantasy player, trying to make good choices. You know, sometimes I make good choices. Sometimes I don't. I picked the Steelers to beat the Patriots. I underestimated Belichick off a loss, but you know, we're, uh, we're on to week three. I got, I got blown away in my picks pool this week. I mean, just at, like, I think I got every single 1 PM Eastern game wrong. So tough look for your boy. Uh, but yeah, you can read my recap piece, five things I care about, five things I don't care about as well coming out of Sunday night. So a lot of good stuff for you to read uh, after you check out this podcast. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, please make sure you're following the at Yahoo fantasy account for any breaking news and fun related to fantasy football. If you like the show, please, please leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. If you don't like the show, you can tweet at me directly and we'll maybe try to hash it out. Tomorrow, Andy and I will be back with some waiver wire pickups and a few drops. Also, maybe a little bit of great gratitude to Andy's Bears for uh, helping us out with Aaron Jones there, Scott. So that is good. Until then, we are out.